this week's guest is Angela Aiello. Also known by the moniker Super Wine Girl, Angela has spent the past two decades changing the world of wine by promoting the many fascinating aspects of wine, as well as educating the public. We talk with Angela about developing one's personal style and palate for wine, exploring the world through wine, and some of the new trends and developments that are now being made available to consumers. Make sure you check out Angela on Instagram at Super Wine Girl and her website, superwinegirl.com. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Podcast. My name is Kip Saunders. I'm the host. With me is Dan Serretta. He is the brains behind the operation. What's happening? <laughs> I don't know about <laughs> brains. There's not much going on there. I'll be quite honest with you, but I'm doing well. <laughs> uh, things are good. Just yeah. in that lockdown life. That is correct. Same thing for the last oof, 64 weeks uh, in a yeah. row, pretty much yourself. Yeah, same. Just trying to get uh, the patio ready for the new spot. Once again, thanks to the Kitchener BIA for setting that all, all that up for us. Lori, Linda, you guys are amazing. And I should uh, give a shout out to Vaji, who owns the parking lot, who's letting us use that as well. Right, nice. Yeah, so, you know, maybe we'll actually make some money this summer instead of uh, <laughs> me, <laughs> me just staring at my business partner and wanting to kind of choke him out. Yeah. <laughs> well, that'll never change, but let's go. <laughs> just like we've talked about everything there is to talk about. <laughs> Okay, so enough of that nonsense. We'll get some um, housekeeping out of the way here. If you want to be a guest on the, sh- the Industry Podcast, you should just DM us at the Industry Podcast uh, if you have a story to tell about your life in the service industry. Big shout out to at Zach Hanna Design, as always, for the great design work that he does for us. And if you want to really help us out, you should subscribe, rate, and review. That's the easiest way to do it. Okay, well... We have a pretty cool guest as usual, but uh, one that we got a lot to talk about with, so we're just going to dispense with our usual nonsense at the beginning of the show and get right to it. We have Angela Ayeo with us today, and how are you, Angela? Oh, I'm fabulous, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for doing it. I I would try and read your uh, bio for our listeners, but that would take up the full hour that we had planning on recording, because you've got so much shit on the go. So that's... uh, But uh, just to give a... Dan will obviously put this in the show notes, uh, everything you're doing, but basically... Maybe give our uh, listeners sort of a rundown of kind of what you're actively doing right now, and then we'll start talking about how you got here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've been in business for about 20 years, but currently I'm a a journalist, an educator, and an on-air host doing television and radio segments. And I mean, I really feel like my philosophy is about bringing wine to the people, you know, kind of democratizing it, bringing it down, bringing as many people into our category, and helping people, you know, in every aspect of their life kind of be wine confident. Yeah. And I should have mentioned as well that Angela goes a super wine girl. So that's uh, we'll put obviously all the uh, notes to Instagram, etc. in the show notes about how you can locate Angela during over social media. Okay, well, let's talk a bit about how you kind of got into this at the beginning. You started out in Niagara, correct? Yeah, I got bit by the wine bug. I mean, probably a couple times in my life. But uh when I started sort of when I was, you know, 16 years old, I started working at Vineland Estates. My mom was like, get a job. And where do right. you work in Niagara? You work at a winery, you right. know? <laughs> yeah. And then you also worked at Peller Estates as well, correct? I did, actually. I did about a decade of work between Vineland in the restaurant and then Peller in the restaurant. And it was all kind of simultaneously while I was going to Brock. Shout yeah. out to Brock U. Yeah. I don't know how this still fits me, actually, to be honest. It's <laughs> been a long time, but <laughs> this shirt, this sweater that I'm wearing. But uh, yeah, actually, the wine industry helped put me through school and, and paid for a lot of my education. I actually worked full time and went to school sort of part time over the course of my four year degree. So, it, you know, I never 
I'm sure there's many people on this show that have sort of said, I didn't think I was going to be in this spot. And, you know, life kind of throws you some curveballs and pivots. And you, if you're a trailblazer, an entrepreneur, you kind of just grab a hold of things and just like, you know, GI Jane through the jungle of life a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so you obviously have never had to, because it's kind of a scary thing to do when you're, uh, I don't know, even if you're just in the service industry, it's, it's scary to make a jump to get into some something. Obviously, everything you're doing is very service industry relatable, but you, like taking sort of that leap to get off on your own, sort of starting your own businesses, that's always kind of a scary thing, but it doesn't seem to scare you much. You know, I've, I feel like fear has a very small portion of my spirit. I kind of just dive into, you know, really adventuresome decisions, no matter what, actually, I, I guess maybe it's just because I have a lot of faith that things always end up working out or, you know, in that in that way. Shape. I also really love and crave adventure. So mm-hmm. in that way, shape or form, I think, you know, I moved from uh, the country to the city, kind of started up a wine club when the social media boom was beginning. And, you know, I didn't have any friends. And so I used it as a way to kind of well, build my own network at the time when I was 26, no friends. Facebook was a thing. And so that sort of happened. But like, you're absolutely right. I mean, in the service industry, I started a wine school down on Queen West that I had a fully licensed establishment for five years. I had a pop-up supper club on King Street West. And both of them, fortunately, closed in 2018, right before the pandemic. And I just, you know, sometimes can't even believe the luck that I would have had to have two venues open uh, during a, during a pandemic. So, right. you know. Yeah. That, okay. Let's, can we talk a little bit about that? So how do, when you're doing a supper club and you have your licensed wine venue as well obviously you're focusing on wine but is it are they operating as like full restaurants as well yeah so that's the other thing i had sort of these uh, you know i pop sort of back in i guess what wait a year is it i don't even know how to do math anymore but when i first started into the wine school i was doing pop-up pop-ups around town so small little great restaurants would pop me up for a night or two nights or three nights a you know a, a month and we do wine school classes and so I teach a wine school about a region or a, a grape or a theme or whatever this is before wine schools in Toronto were like really even a thing I think uh, Jeremy down on Queen Street West had his you know cafe down there but really there wasn't a lot of wine programming for the curious the wine curious person and so I was popping up all these wine school classes and then found the, a venue that I used sort of through AGC, a liquor license for a while, and then got fully licensed. And it was only a wine school. We, we, you know, propped it up for some private events, but it was basically a, you know, a place for education. And obviously there was a little fun that went down in the wine cave too. So, (laughs) yeah. So just so everybody kind of understands exactly what you're talking about, they like people would sign up for a class and then come and you teach it, but you had a liquor license. So you were okay to essentially pour wine for them. That's the reason behind getting the licensing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So. Because when I did W set, it was literally in somebody's office in the back of a hotel, and there was no license. <laughs> so, uh, the, so I'm just kind of interested that that actually that they actually kind of would have given you a hassle about even having a license. I guess maybe people don't make that well known. <laughs> a whole other level to the story of a business and an entrepreneur, but you know, I. I I guess it's over now so I can talk about it, but I was underground for a really long time and it just, I really just promoted the wine club to the community of people I had within my social network. Mm-hmm. So for a really long time, I was like, we did pop up at restaurants. And then when I found the venue, I was sort of doing them, you know, in the gray, as you could say, <laughs> and right. then started to get some special occasion licenses as well. 
and then had a formal conversation with the UGCO about if I wanted to keep moving forward, being this sort of educational establishment that I wanted to be, I had to be, get a license in my in my place of work. And then at that time, I'm sure you probably know, Kip, being you know in the restaurant business, you know, I went out and looked to see if there were other places that I could rent that already had a license because getting a license in a place that's never got a license, is, I would never do that again. But I, I've done it now, so great. Mm. Add that to the resume of yeah. you know working with your landlord to get everything under construction and then months later closing so weird but it's part of the joy <laughs> yeah. of being an entrepreneur <laughs> yeah yeah i uh, i agree with you getting the, the licensing part is just an enormous pain in the ass every single time so i, I can feel that back up just a little bit like what you obviously got your love from wine by working at wineries at what point did you decide that you were going to start doing the education yeah it sort of popped up after my first trip to california so i sort of moved from uh, Niagara to Toronto, never been anywhere in the world other than Florida for say, you know, your family vacation once in your life. I have three sisters, so we've got a pretty big family. But I my first trip to California back in probably about now is about 13 years ago or so. And I remember being like, oh my God, like what if I could, you know, teach wine to the world? And another sommelier that was on that trip with me kind of explored this idea of popping up a wine school. And I was like, oh, that sounds like a really great idea. And then for a while we'd have, you know, that, that sommelier would teach some classes or we'd have some other people come in and teach some cat classes. And then I sort of ended up teaching all the classes actually to be honest because you know recruiting becomes a very large part of the business too having people who are regular and then when we actually started doing classes it was three nights a week and and by, at the optimum time i was doing classes monday through friday or thir- tuesday through to saturday every single week and so you're kind of finding people that can help bring that vision to life of teaching right i think during this time too the environment of wine changed the culture of wine changed in our city it, it really like changed the restaurant scene changed this sort of cult wine lovers kind of changed you know like now the way the wine is in toronto and in canada and even in america and the world it's almost in a renaissance right now which i really am enjoying and i think it's kind of flooded in that way in the last five you know five to 15 years but 10 years for sure of this sort of change in the wine world which has been very great well let's talk a little bit about that like what specifically do you think has changed or even just what more generally has changed with however you want to tackle that whether it's in a more sort of sky a bird's eye view of it or just getting really specific take that any way you want well, I mean, COVID has really changed everything in wine. I think the, the the advancement of pop-up shops now has really enabled the consumer to get more choice and to kind of have really the Psalms at their fingertips Monday through to Sunday without having to go anywhere. So this sort of Psalm at home idea or Psalm on the corner idea, I think is really important. I also think it's important that people um, or you know, consumers have sort of decided like wine is about style in a lot of ways. You have to find a style. And so you have to find a stylist, right? It's not just one palette for all. And so I think there's been this sort of um, popping up of different types of almost like in, in the world of fashion, you have all these different people who have different styles. And in wine for so long, it's really been about black and white styles. Like here's the 90 point wine. Here's what it tastes like. You know, there hasn't been, I would say, a very democratized way of looking at how you critique wine or how you learn about wine. It's been very black and white and classical. Um, so I think that this, this sort of breaking down of barriers has enabled people to become confident about a style that they like and not have to worry about, you know, the. I mean, obviously we all know wine. You get lost in this black hole of everything. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, a little yeah. bit crazy. So there's been a consumer change. I think COVID has changed it a lot just due to that sort of um, idea of you can shop differently online as well. Mm-hmm. We're going through agents. And now I think it's also, you know, more youth have gotten into 
into this business. And I think that's a big change as well as females and alternative voices to help sort of measure or level up the playing field, I think. Yeah, because it definitely was sort of an old boys club for quite a long time, at least in the ranks of the Somalias, right? Like it is. And now you see, like I know more women Somalias than I do men now. And certainly when I started up in the business, it was exactly the opposite, like by quite a like significant margin. So that is good to hear. Do you think then that the consumer, part of this is the consumer is becoming more confident in being like, okay, no, this is the style of wine I like. These are the grapes I like. This is what, this is the style of wine that appeals to me. And I don't have to feel bad if I, if somebody, if somebody offers me a wine that I'm quote unquote supposed to like and don't. (laughs) Yes. I think there's, there's an easiness of saying no, maybe, Mm. you know? Uh, um, And I think that that's a comp, that's a confidence thing. That's like standing up for and having courage and bravery and standing up for, even if you don't know, you can still say, I don't know. I don't like it. I mean, this whole thing can be taken around to the natural wine movement too, where a lot of people are really like hot on trend and want to try all this stuff, but they want to try it, but they might not want to drink it all night. And I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of people who sort of have grown up very classically are kind of interested in the natural wine, but it's more like a, I want to dip my toe in a little bit. You're not sort of diving into the natural wine trends so much unless you're sort of part of a very strong group of people who are into that movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that one of the other things I've noticed has kind of um, trended in a more positive direction in the wine industry is that like when I first started learning about it, it was always like, okay, this wine needs to be needs this type of food or you're not going to get the most out of it whereas i feel like now people even though there's certainly there's that's never going to change there's certain wine that opens up better when eating a certain dish or just needs food with it but more so people are are not like there used to be sort of a snickering from like the high-end wine crowd if you were like just having like a you know big thick bordeaux on its own or (laughs) you know what i mean yeah and now people are more seem to be more comfortable it's like you know what like i'm not going to drink a whole bottle of this without any food but i could have a glass of bordeaux but you you bring you bring up a great point the art of judgment right has been i think very high in previous generations for wine the judgment of the wine the judgment of who's drinking the wine the judgment of the glass they everything about it is about you know full-on criticizing the entire experience and so when you kind of you know break down those walls and critiquing them which is i mean for all sense of training classical training is where you would love to start you know whether it's food or wine classical training is where you can start then you have this world of creative ability to be able to you know whether you're a winemaker or a chef or you know a wine critic is that there's this world world of of creativity that it can be hard to judge mm-hmm. yeah no and, and again that's kind of that's good like it's uh, you know in a sort of all walks of life we should all be getting less judgmental anyway i guess but uh, <laughs> so why wine should come aboard okay so you start doing these pop-ups and now you're developing a community in toronto how does this then transition into you doing more sort of on air or writing or like you kind of shift at some point away from doing like straight service into more speaking about wine. Yeah. Oh, that's a great, great question. Sort of the offstage backstage type of thing in work. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, it's, it's funny because sort of, I sort of, I think I was in the back end a little bit more doing writing and blogging and sort of learning website design and, and all of these interests, writing newsletters, you know, in the, in the beginning, 
this is so weird, but like, you know, 15 years ago when YouTube came out, I was like trying to design my own lighting, like at home to our, our own first videos. And so you kind of, I think that at that time, that social media boom was really about like everything you kind of did a lot. And, and, and so I did a lot, actually, I was doing editing home videos with, with my co-founder and I, when we first founded the wine club, we were doing in, you know, in-person events, we were doing a blogging, HTML coding. I was doing videos. I was doing writing. And then the TV stuff kind of pop up because there wasn't a lot of wine content, to be honest, um, other than maybe the classical ways that you would read about a wine column. Mm -hmm. And so bringing wine to TV was actually a really fun ride, too, because it's not easy to bring, you know, a one dimensional item that we all love to drink. Watching someone drinking it is usually not that much fun, right? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Spoken to someone who's been behind the bar for most of my career, watching them drink it is no fun. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, exactly. I have kind of a question about it because you are doing the CTV morning show now uh, with wine. So this is, and we were talking a little bit before we started recording about how early that is. <laughs> uh, so yeah. I'm kind of interested, like when you're talking about wine and speaking to wine that early in the morning, it seems to be like sort of a, like that's not when people are drinking wine for the most part. If you do, no judgments. But <laughs> but like, is, is there is do you find that difficult to be like sort of capture people's attention about wine very early in the morning? Um, I always like being a neon sign in the middle of a dark alley. And so I find that, you know, if you're not looking for wine and then it's there for you, that's exciting. And so for me, that morning, that art of the morning show, when you're not thinking you're going to be learning about, say, wine, all of a sudden you're like, oh, four minutes. I just learned about Oregon or I just learned about Washington. And mm -hmm. you didn't even know because you're just ingesting the news every day. Right. And so for, for me, I've sort of really like to put wine where it hasn't been before, because I think from an industry perspective, you learn more when things are kind of a little more of that, oh, I didn't know, right? That little spark to the side that maybe you didn't see. And so I have been sort of, one of my philosophies too, has been sort of putting wine into places that it has never been and where it, it really should be. We have eyeballs there every single morning. So why are we not kind of getting people excited in the morning about maybe what they might have for dinner that night? Because I know I sure am thinking about dinner at 10 a.m. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> a good point. Good point. So you're thinking maybe like start putting it into kids' playgrounds and... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, well, and, and, I just no. started... No I just started watch, watching a Masters of the new Masters of None um, oh, yeah. season that came out, and it's like she's sitting there and she's like drinking a big bottle of grape juice, and I'm like, that's me, just with wine most times, you know? Yeah, and I mean, drinking wine in the morning is absolutely fine, especially if you haven't gone to bed yet. Yeah, so. <laughs> and you know what? It's it's the perfect time for your palate to taste. And yeah, exactly. You know, when you go on a million, I'm sure that you know, Kip. And But when you go in the mornings, uh, when you go on tastings or you're on, yeah. you used to go on media trips or whatever it is, and your job was there and criticize wine, the mornings were that time when you tasted them. Your mind's on par, your palate's on par, yeah. you're ready to go. I know, and I, I got to tell you the truth. As someone who's not a wine expert by any means, but I've taken like a few levels and... Um, and obviously been creating lists for my own spots. So I had to go to a lot of these early morning tastes. I fucking hated it so much because back then I would be like, I would be partying pretty late at night and then like getting up and like the last thing I want to do is drink some, you know, like, no, <laughs> some yeah. really yeah. chalky, a chalky red at like 11 a.m. But but now, yeah. now that I'm older and more mature, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have no problem with the morning wine tastings. Well, <laughs> I feel like wine's brought us into what I'm calling now wine tirement. So oh, yeah. like this idea of like, I'm, I'm like 
basically inside of an 85 year old woman who likes to play cards and be in bed by 9 p.m. You know, like, I'm like that's <laughs> yeah. what's happened. There's been no nightlife for us to enjoy anymore. But you're right when when you live in this nightlife world, and I think this is part of what I hope to have changed in hospitality too, is that it is incredibly challenging to have a life when you work late at night mm-hmm. um, to have a balanced life, you know, like when I was running the wine cave and then doing all these events at night and then come home and you'd wake up at night, I was so burnt out. I had, I like, I, I should have took a whole year off to just recoup from working nights and trying to do days. It's like, what am I doing here? Like I just, it's, it's kind of crazy what we do in this business. We'd really hustle. Yeah. And you really start to feel it the older you get too. but <laughs> to be honest yeah. with you, like after a while, you're just like, I cannot be doing the late nights anymore. Like, there's yeah. too much to do during the day. And sometimes it might be yeah. a wine tasting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the wine scene right now as you see it. One thing I've noticed, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong about this, that like when I when I have reps coming to see me now about wines that they're bringing, you almost never get, there's certain things you that they used to always bring that you're never getting anymore. Like I very rarely have someone bring me a California cab or, or I'll have them bring a California Chardonnay, but it's never the big slapped in the face with by an oak tree type. Uh, Chardonnay. It's very subtle and not so oaky. How do these trends happen? How do they, Is it cyclical? How do you see this? I mean, there's a lot of, I think, great answers to that. I mean, I feel like your palate changes. Uh, one, mm. as you mature. Uh, two, I mean, obviously, as a restaurateur, you're buying wine based on your consumer trends. So what are people mm. coming in? Are they asking for things? Or are they? Are you directing them to certain things on the menu? So what are the palate shifts, shifts that have been happening? And I think it has a lot to do with food. I mean, we can see across the world how wine kind of started was a natural matching with the food in the region. And so food is a huge portion, I think, of why and how trends end up popping up. I mean, we look at what's happening in in wine right now with the movement of being vegan. And this has sort of stumbled onto piggybacking from veganism and this rise in people going vegan and vegetarianism. And so this this lens is now being shown and and forecast onto wine, which is very interesting. The natural the natural trend is also a really, really interesting thing. This is like when people are going back to organics. Where are we going with our food? How, you know, how close is it to the ground and what is that? whole journey from ground to glass look like. Mm-hmm. And so that is bringing up the natural movement. I mean, there's lots of ways to look at industries like this in, in different lenses. And they're all sort of different bubbles, you know, in, in this brainstorming map, if we were to put it down as a cobweb of thoughts. So trends really appear, I think, one from uh, f- from food in an area. Toronto, we're so lucky. There's so much food. And so that's kind of hard to say because I feel like we are so, uh, our food, our food culture is so intriguing and diverse which means our wine styles are, which makes it also great for wine lists and for people to do that. But I also think that your palate changes as you change. It evolves. And so, I mean, physiologically, we all are born with a certain amount of taste buds on our tongue. You can't change that. That is the science of nature. But you can nurture your palate into understanding the art of what's scientifically in wine and what you prefer. And that's, you know, the acid, the sugar, the tannin, and how you're how you would like and approve of those wines. For instance, I'm a big fan of Riesling. I grew up on Riesling. It's basically like my grape juice, you know. And I love Chardonnay. I've sort of gravitated for those two two whites as my favorite grape varietals. And then Syrah and Pinot are my next two kind of in the lineup with Gamay a close third. But those are my top five. I know that I've done enough drinking to kind of figure out that this style is. Those are the styles I really love. And then you end up finding things by exploring. And I think what's so exciting about what COVID has allowed us to do is to explore every region of the world by, through our wine glass. 
you know, we can't go anywhere. So how else are we kind of upping and elevating our sensual experiences at home, which we used to go out to do. And now we're sort of staying at home to do. Yeah, that makes sense. And is this kind of the sort of way you go about teaching your sort of Zoom classes or online classes right now is in in that fashion? That's like, oh, let's explore some different stuff because what the fuck else do we have to do? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, 100 percent. I mean, I think a lot of us are just, you know, my my claim to what I've been talking a lot about over the last year, just opening up your liquid passport. You know, like Mm -hmm. when you are used to opening up your passport and traveling, let's say most of us are in in this age group or in Toronto, I think traveling is part of what we love to do, which is why we we live in a 400 square foot box, you know, because the world (laughs) is at our fingertips. Now mine's just full of wine. (laughs) I'm barely anywhere to sleep. But um Yeah. So I mean, your liquid passport is as important. And, and yes, you're going to talk about the acid and the wine and the taste. But I mean, more and more, I think people behind the bar and in restaurants, they're talking about the stories behind the wines, the people behind the wines. And this is what really needs to come through as much as it's about the taste and what you're going to actually like taste. It's mm-hmm. about so much more than just what's in your glass, really. Right. Yeah. And uh, one thing that I've obviously learned over the time of trying to sell hand sell wine to people is so much is about the story. People love the, a good story with what they're drinking way more than I would have expected. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a, a story is what people are looking for more than ever. Right. They're looking for an imaginary tale or a real tale or and the, the wine world is full of them. Interesting oh, so characters crazy wines if you want to learn about geography or science or art i mean this is the industry where no matter what your kind of like geek out moment is wine it can be that place for you Hmm. okay so you mentioned uh some of your favorite grapes your go-to wines that you like to drink what uh what are some of the the, i always find that there's like sort of like the hot cool grape in a community that's going around at any given time that what some somebody with like a bullhorn discovers it and then all of a sudden like six months later everybody's drinking it it, it, i know i know we're not out at so much as so maybe you want to talk pre-pandemic or if there if you can pinpoint one during the last year then even better yeah i mean i i i've been i feel like when the pandemic first started i said to myself what have i not drank enough of that i Mm. need to kind of like dive into like what are those like oh my god if i die tomorrow i haven't drank enough of this and, right. and my thing was Burgundy Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. I had never really dove yeah, into I mean, I, I drank probably, it, but I didn't really drink it. Probably just because of the price. And so I- <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. And there are lots of regions, actually, that kind of just clearly push away people because of the price, right? Mm-hmm. It's just almost like a, a place you can't go. And it travels the same way. There's some places that are very expensive, you know? Like, some people just can't go. You're going to dream about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's like, okay, I'm not traveling. So that extra money was sort of put towards put towards wine. So, right. I mean, I dove into Burgundy Pinot Noir and I think that's a land you get lost in and it's so confusing and complex, but it's also so delicious and wonderful at the same time. It's like you can care a little bit and care a lot, still get a lot of, of things from Burgundy. And I also love Gamay. Gamay is one of those things to me that I've always really, really enjoyed Gamay. And I feel like it's kind of an undervalued, unsung hero of wine. And I think it's finally coming to fruition a little bit more. Riesling too. I mean, I think that people are like, oh, Riesling's sweet. And I'm like, well, you all like sweet, so try Mm. it. But (laughs) Riesling can be so much more, right? Yeah, Riesling's back in a big way for sure. Like there was, when I first started in the industry and first started getting into wine as well, nobody wanted Riesling because that was the sweet wine and they wanted like a California Shard or whatever, right? And now people are, especially people in the wine community, it's like, it's like the wine nerds wine right now. (laughs) <laughs> like yeah, 100%. Uh, I, I, and talking about like I always get like an idea from because I'll I'll tell a rep who's coming to visit my bar 
I, we try and serve sort of off the board stuff like, okay, we don't have a California shard, but if that's what you like to drink, then I, let me recommend this type selling. And so I'll tell them to bring, you know, stuff that's a little bit off the board. And still, there's going to be at least three different Rieslings when one they bring now. It's like, you just know that's happening. So, um, yeah, that's kind of, I, I find that kind of interesting about the wine community. It's just like, they, like somehow it spreads and everybody starts geeking out about one thing for a little bit and then a few months go by and then they're on to something else. But Yeah, yeah, you definitely have seen that that wave, I think, happening now. It's more like a, I don't want to call it an unloyal wave, but it's more of an adventure wave, right? Like you're kind of mm. like going and coming in and out of things. Nobody's maybe super loyal to one category or one thing, but they're really open to trying new things. And so they kind of get, it's almost like you're in love with a song. You know, we've all been in love with a song where it's like in your head for like three weeks. Mm. Wine's the same way. It can be like in your head for, you know, three months, six months, a year, but then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm going to try something new. And so it kind of like runs its course a little bit sometimes, I think, depending on, depending on the, the, on where you are, I'm just looking outside, but like the mood too. If it's winter, you're craving things that are a little different. If it's sunny and humid, you're craving craving things different. If it's a you know that type of a summer, but yeah, that's true, and that's the same with all beverages. Like you're, if you're comparing exactly. it to beer, like in the middle of summer, you're not really craving a stout, but you also are not yeah. really craving a sour in the middle of winter. So yeah, that, right. and it works the same with wine. And certainly, wine, white wine, and rosé consumption go way up in the summer, but. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and like in, so in your big meaty reds, you tend to drink a little bit less. I mean, not me, but normal people that <laughs> tend to drink a little <laughs> less of that during the summer. Okay, let's talk a little bit about what you do on the shows. When you're going on, say, CTV or whatever, and are, are you, is that what you're doing? You're talking about a certain region and helping people understand what wines come from a region? Or are you talking about a grape? Is it whatever you like? Do they, do they ask you to do something or do you come with a plan? Just give us the whole look. Rundown on how that yeah. works. Interesting. I come with a plan. I produce my whole segment um, with my publicist, and I write the whole script. And I, 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 I kind of like my idea is I want to give you a macro and a micro version of a region in four minutes. It's almost like a you know wine for dummies, you could say, in in these mm. segments, which I think is really great because I mean I've been to the Caps program through George Brown. I've you know made wine over in South Africa for thirty days. I've really tried hard to do different things in this industry to give you multiple you know, lenses into the industry. And so, you know, if you were a geek, you're going to learn about this. If you are a taster, you're going to learn about this. If you really like aromatics, you're going to learn about this. And so I've been on CHCH for the last seven years and designed every segment with them. And it can be really fun. Like the next segment I'm doing for CTV Calgary is, I know that one of the hosts maybe wants to learn how to taste wine. He's not really, he doesn't really like open wine. He's like, you know, I've done it, but I'm not a really good, how do I do it? And I'm like, let's bring this to TV because this is, something actually I think more people want to talk about. How am I picking up a glass and what do I do? And, you know, we're all at home now drinking. How am I supposed to do this? Because we used to learn in in restaurants. And so we've spent the last year, maybe not be taught by anybody or maybe like lacklustering, maybe letting go of the classiness of it. Um, So how do we kind of elevate that up? And so these segments are really meant for quick sound bites of learning for, for me to sort of take the world of wine, condense it into something that's super, you know, optimized for you to remember. And then also like just come away with two or three things that you might remember next time you're at the LCBO or or a bottle shop or looking for wines online at a winery or whatever it might be. Mm, yeah, that's smart. And uh, so like one thing, for instance, that I learned through doing like WSEC courses or whatever, though, I thought the most valuable thing I ended up learning was how to buy better wine cheaply. Like, <laughs> just yeah. because you don't, like, before I would just be walk, wandering through vintages being like, oh, that one got 95 points. 
I'll pay 40 bucks or whatever, you know, and then realizing if you just know, once you learn about certain grapes, you realize, oh, I can just go shop in the Chalet section for a little bit and, <laughs> and get an equivalent like quality wine for half price. Designing those wine cheat sheets in your mind are so important. One, to save money. Two, to just become more aware of what you drink. And then to like have a good time too, right? Without having to spend a lot of money. I always say like, I always think of, I'm a reader, but I walk into chapters and go, oh my God, what am I going to read? Like immediately overwhelmed by the amount of books I have to look at. What am I doing? I don't even know what, and I, I'm like, it's so overwhelming. I've just walked into it. Chapters. You're, you're really dating yeah. yourself here. Uh, <laughs> no. I'm well, just kidding. Do my bookstore? It's 20 years ago. Exactly. Now that I have Audible. Uh, I just recently got Audible so I can listen to all my books. But uh, nice. you know, was it one? But buying wine's the same way. You walk yeah. into the LCBO and you're like, what the heck, man? I just want to drink a bottle of wine. Mm. And there's like so much of it. It's so artfully confusing. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I also wanted to touch on something else that you mentioned when you were talking about doing your uh, shows. Like, do you feel like the pandemic has sort of made wine more accessible to people in a way that because you're because you're doing it at your home over Zoom or just watching you on television or listening to you on the radio or whatever, it's it sort of takes the the shame out of not doing things properly when you're at the restaurant or like all the judgments that we were talking about earlier in the, in this interview, the, like when you're at home and you're just watching over zoom, it's like, Oh, okay. Now I can legitimately, maybe you'd feel embarrassed asking someone, okay, no, what am I really supposed to do when I get the bottle of wine at the table? But if you can watch someone like you on TV or over zoom at a class or whatever, it kind of takes that, the shaming out of it. And it's just easy. Yeah. So we have no shame, no judgment, all the things that you'd never want to have anywhere in your life um, mm. come out of this, out of this pandemic, I think. And it's, it's true. I think uh, virtually people can also chat their questions in now and DM like this whole world of like, you don't have to like, I don't have to go up to somebody who's a wine expert and ask, you know, what does maceration mean? Or what right. does, you know, what does it mean when a wine has been skinned or, you know, why do I like Pinot Noir? I have no idea. Or why do I not like it? And so there's this, I think like I, the walls of wine have, are breaking themselves down. And I think that's a very good thing for people to get into wine, but then also to be mindfully drinking. And this is the other thing we always have to remember, like in our industry, it's like, we're teaching people to be very conscientious about the wines they drink. And so like, you know, I think that's, that's another thing too, is that I've, I've been doing a lot of virtual tastings with couples who say like, we don't really know what to do. We don't, we, how do we kind of take wine and make it our shared interest? We don't really know. We don't have anybody to lead us through this. So the answer to that is just drink a lot of it. Yeah, exactly. Together. And that's yeah. it. I mean, it's really easy. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Argue over your the fact that maybe you don't like the same Syrah or, you know, the Chardonnays. Each go get a Chardonnay and like battle it out or something right. fun. And so yeah. there are ways to kind of create uh, create fun dynamics in the home with wine, even collecting it. Right. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. And I and I do I do think it's going to be big. I mean, it might fucking suck for us who have been faking it in the wine in service for so long now that we're going to have all these educated guests coming in because they've been No, I'm just kidding. It's always better to have way <laughs> more educated guests. Um, what is your go to like if you can think back to the time when you were like going to tables with wine? What would be your go to sort of hand sell like it's, let's say it's sort of a, a grape that's not maybe super familiar with the average joe who comes in how do you go about hand selling that to a, a guest 
Yeah, you know, I used to love like a surprise and delight moment with a guest or with a because people are very arrogant. Sometimes both the wines that they like, this brings us back to the comment you just said, like people can become arrogant. So we've got mm. arrogance, shame and judgment in this business that really have no place. Uh, you want to be a wine geek, sure, do it in, in your own home, but don't bring it into any public space because, you know, we're all here to be peace, love and wine, everyone. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. you know, the hand sell to me was always like, I loved being like, if you like this, try this. Those were always my my mm-hmm. favorite moments. So like, are you a big New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc fan? How about trying Torontes? It's so great. It's $9 a bottle. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if you really like... Um, some uh one of my things i was like pushing gruner too gruner's one of those like gritty yeah. wines where you're just like this is a white stainless wine but it's so delicious mm-hmm. and there's not too many of them available um so i mean whites were always really good i feel like i from a from a red wine perspective i do push a lot of gamay i think surprising people with gamay is always like i want something that's not a red it's not a white and it's not a rosé you're like well gamay is perfect the perfect bottle for you yeah, especially in the middle of the you're summer right. too yeah, it's very mm-hmm. under. It's, yeah, it's a great it's a summer barbecue wine. That one, like, what beats Gamay for that? It's amazing. So, <laughs> so, so I am. Uh, well, we're gonna edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bad puns are welcome. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I, one thing I did want to ask you, and this is literally just there's uh, there's always a portion of this show where I just turn around to stealing business ideas from the guests, and we've reached that portion of the show. Uh, <laughs> I'm currently, <laughs> I'm currently uh, in the process of actually opening a wine bar here in Waterloo. So I would like your advice on what, how do I, because I'm struggling with a little bit, how do you go about making uh, a perfect and unique wine list? Yes. So I I look at it like a world tour. And so you have to look at it like, um, you know, obviously it has to match your menu. So if you have, if you have food, I mean, there's obviously this, this idea of your, your food is going to run with their wines. But I mean, personally, I'm a big fan of the wine. The LCBO does it by style and regions in a lot of ways. So finding creative ways for you to put your wine list together are always fun, whether that's, you know, really interesting style kind of quadrants or, you know, programs for people to fall into or them looking for something youthful and fruity, you know, juicy and full or however it might be. I think theming people with a style is really important. Regions, I think, are very easy. I think that's what's classically been done. And I and I don't think that there's a problem with that. I do like witty things that happen in a wine list. Like mm-hmm. I love either one ex- asking for an extended wine list. If there's something behind the bar for older vintages. That's fun. As a wine person, that's always like, do you have another wine list? Which is what you always ask as a wine person at some sort of a restaurant. Because, you know, you've got the table wines, but then you have what else do you have in the cellar? Mm-hmm. And so theming kind of styles are really fun. I think finding wines, obviously, that are fun for you and your team are right. also really great. So what where, what is the style? What is the wine style of the team? What are they going to sell the most of? That's you know, so crucial, I, I would, right? Like, yeah. 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 What does everybody like? What does yeah. everybody like? Waterloo's a hot, a hot little town for wine. Yeah, it's getting there. We, it's funny, we don't really have a lot of wine bars yet, but I feel like there's about to be about six in the next <laughs> over yeah. the next six months or so, or whenever Doug Ford lets us. Um, but, <laughs> okay, let's talk about what's next for you. Like, you've got a lot on your plate clearly right now, but I also gauge from not only the bio that you sent me, but even during this conversation that you're not much for resting on your laurels. So <laughs> what, like, what, I know, right? <laughs> what's next up? <laughs> well, I, my next thing is probably some, some introspective time, but I'd really, I've sort of started to write a book and it's pretty well along. I just have to sort of 
figure out the middle stage, you know, the messy middle of a job. This is kind of, I've kind of got the beginning part out of the way. I'm in the messy middle, but in the next couple of years, I'd like to see sort of something that is a narrative of everything that I've learned put down into something for people to read, to be honest. Mm. So that's a big one. So is this a book about you and your career or is it more a book about what you've learned and passing that knowledge on? I think the, you know, it won't be so much autobiographical as it will be more fun and fresh, but I mean, it will have sort of a sex in the city tinge to it. I can sort of see how there's be lots of, you know, comical moments or like tear sheds or whatever it might be from some of the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur um, right. in the, in the business, uh, you know, a, a young female entrepreneur in the business. I just turned 39 and I feel like I'm like, Oh wow, that was a lot of work. What the hell did I do all that? Yeah, you, <laughs> you can take a rest. You can take a rest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll write it all out. It'll be cathartic. And then yeah. I'll be like, you know, white hair. <laughs> yeah. And go into you know, a great chapters. Of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we sort of talked about this a little bit, but I kind of wanted to get your opinion for our listeners on like, what are some cool wines they should be trying this summer? You can get as specific as you want or you can get as general as you want. Sure. I will say that, you know, I have been sort of dabbling a lot into Italian and Spanish wines these days. I find the indigenous varietal, the the pleasure of so much adventure, whether I like the wines or not, but the amount of, of effort I learn about it has been really exciting. So Spain and Italy for indigenous varietals for me are like kind of where I'm at in this fun mm. little world of give me something new and exciting. Well, there's um, certainly plenty of Italian ones to choose from. <laughs> That's a oh my god, so many! Yeah, it's so overwhelming. It's a whole other language. You can't even. I I, was, I opened a bottle last night. I'm like, what does this even mean? As a wine person, you know, like I know I have to sit there and deconstruct it. But I was just thinking, as a normal wine person, to look at an Italian label, it can be very confusing. I've been actually taking Italian lessons on Duolingo during this lockdown because I got this the time to do it. And I still read the backs of these labels and I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? Like, I don't <laughs> yeah. like I still can't find what the grape is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's like it's Italian wine Fugazi or something. You're like, what is this? Am I going to like it? I don't know. You know? <laughs> yeah. And actually, that brings me to something interesting to talk about, because I think this is the main thing that everybody who has not gotten super into wine, but kind of wants to has it has an issue with is that it's intimidating because let's face it like when it comes to old world wine specifically they don't make it it's almost like they're trying to make it hard on you to to learn about it right yeah. like whereas like you know at least with new world wine the boom the grapes right up front on the label you and and i know that some uh old world countries are starting uh vineyards and old world countries are starting to do that a little bit like uh, you will see some burgundies that say pinot noir right on the label now which i think is helpful to the average consumer but i find that so often some of them are just like trying almost trying to make it more difficult so how how do you approach someone who's like sort of intimidated by getting involved in the whole world of wine yeah so that's another thing i mean from a trend perspective that's so exciting i mean i just got a, a bag in a bag of wine uh, yeah a bag of wine I, I should bring it over and show you yeah. but it's a bag of wine it's a 1.5 liter from portugal like the carbon footprint is zero the wine is you know tinto franca which is uh you know just an indigenous portuguese grape it's red wine it's delicious i'm like it's 15.95 which means it's eight dollars a bottle less than eight dollars mm. a bottle and i'm just like this is genius like this is amazing right now like i know we have had bag in a box for a really long time but it's a bag in a box and it 
The wine's been, you know, lackluster at best. So the packaging around wine has completely shifted, I think, also for that experience moment where, you know, we all love having a cork pulled in front of us or a champagne um, bottle, you know, pop, one of my favorite sounds in the world. But having this plethora of wine in a can, premium wine in a can, mm-hmm. and also the movement of lower alcohol wine, premium lower alcohol wine is also something that's shifting the, the demographic, which I think is also very important too. When you look at neighborhoods like Waterloo, where people are driving and maybe not always Ubering home, offering right. lower alcohol wines that are premium is something that's really important too. Yeah. I mean, I, any customers to my new bar opening up, ignore that advice. We want you getting drunk and Ubering. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> unless, you, unless you just want to drink more of these low ABV wines, then that's fine. That's yeah, totally, exactly. Yeah. So is there, I agree, like the product for canned wine and wine in a box has like improved vastly. since. So first, for anybody who was like sort of into wine, that would be a joke. Like, oh, you're going to drink wine out of a box or out of a can. But I completely agree. The product is there now. There's really good stuff in both formats. But what would you sort of what I'm asking is like if I'm, say, whatever age and just starting to get into wine, like but I just start reading about it and I'm just like, what the fuck? There's no way I can learn all this stuff. This is too intimidating. I give up. Like, what would you say to that person? Yeah. Okay. so my first my first thing would be like, uh, Try to find a style that you like now. It doesn't have to be something you have to stick with, but let's just go with now. So we're headed into summer. You know, let's talk about your beer style. What do you really like in beer? Do you like that it's acid? Is there sugar? What do you like about it? So let's find you a wine or a couple wines that kind of work with your current style. And so, you know, when I redid my wardrobe, I had a stylist come in and say, what is your favorite part of this wardrobe? And I was like, my hoodies, my t-shirts, and my jeans, right? Those <laughs> yeah. are my favorite parts. And so the same thing with wine. Okay, when's, what are your, what, when are you drinking wine? Is it on Friday night, Thursday night, Saturday night? What are your favorite foods? And let's kind of like sort of customize your own your own profile when it comes to, comes to wine. Because I think as soon as you personalize something, then it doesn't feel wrong, right? Because it's your own. And so, you know, I really like Friday nights. I'm hanging at home with my partner. We like to cook. Usually it's Italian. You know, what do I, what do I like to eat? Okay, is it a cream-based sauce or is it a red sauce? Let's figure that out. Which part of Italy, you know, do you want to go to? We want to go to the north. It's cooler. We want to go to the south. It's warmer. Um, so finding somebody also that you can share your wine journey with is important. Like, For instance, I always tell people like DM me a couple hours before you go to the LCBO. Tell me what you're looking for and I can help you out. It's really easy. I mean, you can find somebody at the LCBO too. But if you happen to just want to DM somebody that knows a lot and has tasted a lot, finding somebody in your network to give you advice on those things based on your style is helpful as well. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. Well, uh, this has been a super interesting conversation, Angela. We really appreciate you doing it. And I know you have a lot going on. So thanks for taking the time out. If people want to get a hold of you, it's at Super Wine Girl. Is that accurate? You got it. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks again for doing this. And uh, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. We're looking forward to the book. Thanks, gentlemen. Peace, love, and wine. Yes. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs>